Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for Scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today it's part one of the Gospel of John, chapter 16. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Are studying John chapter 16 and this is the Holy Spirit chapter the spirit of truth and we have come to the final cosmic showdown this has been a four chapter dialogue chapter 13 14 15 16 we're on chapter 16 in chapter 13 Jesus knew his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the father Now tonight, in this chapter, he says an hour is coming when those who kill you will think that by doing so, they're offering worship to God. Those who kill you, we didn't get that memo. (laughs) They're going to be killed. The hour for Jesus has come, and the hour for them is coming too, very soon. So it's the Holy Spirit chapter. Now in John chapter 1, we already saw when John the Baptist baptized Jesus, he saw the Holy Spirit come down and stay on him. And that's how he knew that was the sign that the one who I put the Holy Spirit on said the one who sent John, that would be the father. The one I put the Holy Spirit on and make him stay on, that's him. So John testified already in chapter one that this is the son of God because I saw the spirit come down and stay on him. And right after that, Jesus is sent out into the desert for the temptation of his life. But he has the spirit on him and in him and through him coursing through his veins Now, tonight, we're heading into the final showdown, but at that time, in Luke's gospel, Luke says the devil had finished every test, that 40 days and 40 nights in the desert, and he departed from Jesus until an opportune time, and we're coming into that opportune time right now. This is it, the final cosmic showdown, the final battle between good and evil, and the prince of the world is going to be defeated. Judas, the devil, had already got a toehold and a foothold into Judas's sinful areas of his life. He was disillusioned with the deadly sin of greed. Satan had entered into Judas. Judas had allowed that, and Judas had severed himself from the vine, the true vine. Last week, we talked a little bit about blessing, blessing. Who has the blessing? Well, in Genesis chapter 50, before Jacob died, he blessed, he prayed with all his 12 sons, and he blessed them. Two of those 12 sons were called vines, and this is really important. In Genesis chapter 49, Judah was a vine, and it said, binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he washes his garments in wine and his robe in the blood of grapes. And then the other vine son was Joseph. Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine by the spring, and his branches run over the wall. So only two of Jacob's 12 sons were called vines. Judah's a vine, and Joseph is a vine. Judah gets the father's blessing, and Joseph gets the birthright. And the birthright is to get two portions of the inheritance of the promised land, two portions of land. And those will go to Joseph's sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, in reverse order, because Ephraim, Jacob's going to cross his hands and bless Ephraim. Now, in Genesis 37, Judah would like to profit from the sale of Joseph, just like Judas wanted to profit from the sale of Jesus in his betrayal. Judas said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come on, let's sell him. Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. We can make some money off this. 
But at the end of the story, Judah comes full circle in conversion, in repentance, in remorse. When he is sitting there for the final time in front of Joseph, he says, Joseph is saying, you got to leave your little brother Benjamin here. And, and Judah says, no, 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 no. I'll be your slave. I'll do anything. We can't leave Benjamin. Take me, take me. He, he gives his life for Benjamin. He, he said, this will kill our father if we don't bring Benjamin back. So Judah is laying down his life for Benjamin and it moves Joseph so greatly because he has seen the conversion of his journey of his life. And Joseph begins to weep and he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it. The whole household of Pharaoh could hear Joseph weeping and Joseph has to self-identify himself. He says, I'm alive. I'm Joseph. I'm Joseph. Is father, is dad still alive? Is, is my father Jacob still alive? And his brothers can't even answer because they are so shocked. They, they are, they're, this is Joseph. They, they can't even take it in. They can't even absorb it. They're so dismayed at his presence. They thought he was dead. And Joseph's alive. And it's like a resurrection. All these years they thought he was dead. And he's alive. He's alive. He's alive. And their joy was amazing. And, and they're weeping. And he's, he's weeping on the neck of Benjamin. And Benjamin's weeping on the neck of Joseph. And they're, they're brothers by the same mother and the same father. And they're hugging. And, and, and the, it's a resurrection. Okay, and Joseph says to his brothers, come closer to me. And they came closer. And he said, I am your brother, Joseph, who you sold into Egypt. And now don't be distressed. Don't be angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. What kind of forgiveness is that? Amazing grace. He is forgiving everything. Don't hold this against yourself. Don't be distressed. Don't be angry with yourselves. God meant it for good. God had a plan. It's just the most incredible forgiveness. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth to keep you alive for many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. It's incredible, incredible forgiveness. So we have the vine. It's kind of like Jesus. He says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. You have a plan. So Judah's a vine. He gets the blessing. Joseph's a vine. He gets the birthright. But Jesus told us last week, I am the true vine. Those two sons of Israel, those two sons of Jacob's are vines, but I am the true vine. And he's going to bring both the blessing and the birthright together somehow. But how? How? How is Jesus going to do that? Well, I found out this week in Ezekiel 37, and I was so excited because we just studied this last year, and we kind of breezed through. This was the dry bone chapter, and we were all, we love the dry bones, and the bones are getting all the, you know, all that. But there's another little prophecy at the end of that chapter that says this, the word of the Lord came to me, mortal, mortal, Ezekiel, take a stick and write on it for Judah, the Israelites associated with it, and then take another stick and write on that stick for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim. And all the house of Israel associated with it. And then join them together into one stick. That they may become one in your hand. Whoa, what? So you have Judah, the vine who has the blessing. You have Joseph, especially Ephraim, the son that had the blessing that gets the birthright. And he says there are two sticks and you're going to join them together. Okay. So you could join them together that way. You could join them together this way so that they become one in your hand or... You could join him together this way. Oh, oh, wow. That's a Holy Spirit chapter in Ezekiel 37. Because when the people say to you, will you not show us 
what you mean by these? Say to them, thus says the Lord God, I am about to take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim and the tribes of Israel associated with that. And I'm about to take the stick of Judah upon the stick of Joseph and make them one stick in order that they may become one in my hand. Oh, like this? Oh, oh, we get it now. We didn't get it last year. I didn't get it last year. I get it now because of the true vine and the blessing and the birthright. The cross is the two sticks. The vertical combines the blessing of Judah. The horizontal is the birthright of Joseph. And they come together in one hand. The cross is made of two sticks. And it's one. And when the sticks on which you write are in your hand before their eyes, then say to them, thus says the Lord God, I will take the people of Israel from the nations among which they have gone and will gather them from every quarter and bring them to their own land. Judah, the southern tribe, is in Jerusalem. Ephraim is part of the northern tribes that are in dispersion. They are all over. And when Messiah comes, all of Jacob's sons are going to be one again. Right? And they're all going to come together again. And I will take the people of Israel from the nations among which they have gone. And I will gather them from every quarter and bring them to their own land. I will make them one nation in the land on the mountain of Israel. And there's the mountain of Calvary right outside of Jerusalem. And there in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit is poured out, there are devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at the sound of the crowd, they were bewildered. Each one heard them speaking in the native language of each person. They were amazed and astonished. How can this be? We're each hearing in our own native language. They're Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamia, Judah, Cappadocia. When you get this reading at Mass, it's like, ah! They're from all over the place, and they all speak different languages. And they're amazed and perplexed, and they say, what does this mean? And others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. (laughs) Yeah, they are. They are inebriated. They are intoxicated with the Holy Spirit. It's a sober intoxication. That's sheer irony. I tell you, from now on, I will not drink from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took that cup after supper and he said, this cup is poured out for you and it's a new covenant in my blood. Back to Ezekiel 37 and the two sticks. One king shall be king over them all. Never again shall they be two nations. And never again will they be divided into two kingdoms. I will save them from the apostasies that they have fallen into and I will cleanse them. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. My servant David shall be king over them. So this son of David, Jesus Christ, from house of Judah, he is the perfect priest, the perfect prophet, and the perfect king. And God's going to accept his perfect blood atonement for the sin of all nations through those two sticks. And they will have one shepherd, says Ezekiel. They'll follow my ordinances. They'll be careful to observe my statues. Because they're going to be full of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) And they will drive in the land that I gave my servant Jacob, which your ancestors live, they and their children and their children's children. They'll live forever. And my servant David shall be their prince. How long? Forever. (laughs) It's awesome. And I'll make a covenant of peace with them. It'll be an everlasting covenant with them. I'll bless them. I'll multiply them. I'll set my sanctuary among them. How long? Forever. My dwelling place will be with them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And the nation shall know that I, the Lord, sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is among them forever. 
more. There's one of those sanctuaries right here in the chapel. You can go to this sanctuary whenever you want. There's a Catholic church within blocks everywhere you are on the face of the earth. My sanctuary is among my people. I will tabernacle there with them. How long? Forever. Jesus is the true vine. He is the only vine who can bring the other two vines, Judah and Joseph, together into one stick. Judah and Joseph together into one stick, the true vine. Jesus, the true vine. Now, another little tie-in, Miriam was full of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came on her. She was a prophetess, sister of Moses. They had crossed the Red Sea, and full of the Spirit, she says, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider has he thrown into the sea. They had just made it through the Red Sea, and they are in the desert now. And, and they've only been there how long? Three days, and they've had no water. 2.5 million plus people. And they're thirsty. And they get to Mara. And the water's really, 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 really bitter there. And it's, that's why it's called Mara. It means bitter water. And the people are starting to complain. And Grandma's like, what are we going to drink? What are we going to drink? We're going to die. And he cried out to the Lord. And the Lord showed him a piece of wood. And he threw it into the water. And the water became sweet. <laughs> and the people could drink the water. The wood made the water sweet. The wood of the cross makes the bitter waters of our life sweet. Joseph and Judah through Jesus back to the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. Behold the wood of the cross. And we'll have this soon in Lent. Behold the wood of the cross and we kiss it and we love it, those two sticks. And we're thankful and we venerate Jesus who on those two sticks that he held in one hand has done it. With perfect faithfulness to the Father, we venerate him, we adore him, we love him. And the wood of the cross heals us by Jesus' sacrifice on it. The sweet, it sweetens all the bitterness of our life. The wood of the cross, the wood of Jesus who came to heal us by the power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus that takes us back to the Father. It's all Trinity. It's all the mystery. It's a great, profound mystery of the cross. It's a stumbling block for the Jews. It's a stumbling block for the world. They don't get it. Get him off there. Take him off. Through him, with him, in him. In the unity of the Holy Spirit. They have to call down the Holy Spirit in the Epiclesis at Mass, in this perfect Father, Son, Holy Spirit. In the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is directed to who? To the Almighty Father, through Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, for how long, forever and ever. Amen, all the people say. Amen. And you shout it, and you say, so be it, I believe. Yes, it is so. And the people say, mm -hmm. <laughs> Jesus teaches us tonight on the Trinity. Now, before John's gospel was written, we did not know much about the Trinity. The synoptics, like Matthew, told us to, at the very end, before he ascended back to the Father, Jesus said, now go and make disciples of all the nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He gave the Trinitarian baptismal formula. You have to have that to be baptized. And Jesus did, and John tells us that, that there were many other things that, that they didn't write about, but he wrote these things that we could know, that we could know Messiah, that we could know Jesus better and believe in him. And so he's going to dialogue a lot about the Trinity in this discourse. John will stress Trinity, but guess what? There was no name for Trinity yet. We didn't know about a Trinity. The Jews didn't know about a Trinity. But you know who made it so simple? 
St. Patrick when he picked a clover. Right? Now we all understand Trinity. G.K. Chesterton wrote this. A lady I knew picked up a book of selections from St. Thomas Aquinas with the commentary and began hopefully to read a section with an innocent heading, The Simplicity of God by Thomas Aquinas. Then she laid the book down with a heavy sigh and said, well, if that's his simplicity, I wonder what his complexity is like. The earliest known artwork of the Trinity at the Vatican Museum, 350 AD, it's dated. Three persons, one God. They didn't know how to do it. Then we see the shield of the Trinity developed. And this was in a lot of churches and a lot of church stained glass windows. But God is one God, but he's three persons. He's God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. But the Spirit is not the Father and the Father is not the Son and the Son is not the Spirit. And it kind of helped us understand. So they started putting this everywhere so we could understand Trinity better. But the doctrine of the Trinity took many, many, many years to develop. And during this final four-course discourse, he introduces the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is called the sanctifier or the convictor. And the convictor, uh, it's not a bad thing to be convicted. Satan is a condemner. The Holy Spirit is a convictor. There's a big difference. He's a convictor because he's the spirit of truth. And there is truth. And when you hear it and you're convicted in your heart, when you're doing your Bible study and something strikes you, you're convicted by the spirit of truth through the word, through Jesus. And it takes you somewhere where sometimes there's a tension and a wrestling in your heart. But that's the Holy Spirit at work through this living word. They will do all these things to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me, said Jesus. If I had not come and spoken to them, then they would not have sinned. But now they have no excuse for their sin because the word has spoken. And when he sends the Holy Spirit, it will convict by the power of God's word. It will convict our hearts. Whoever hates me hates the Father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have seen, and they hated both me and my Father. Jesus and the Father are one. Now, he did all these works, and this is similar to the old Moses. The old Moses did all these works so that the Pharaoh would know, that they would know, that they would know, that they would know, that they would know the God of Israel, right? But the first things he did, they said, well, our magicians can do that. Turn your stick into your snake. Uh, we can do that. Magicians, and they did it. Then, then he turned the river red. Oh, we can do that. They turned the river red. Okay. Uh, how about frogs? Oh, we can do frogs. They did frogs. They're staying with them up to plague number three. And then it was the gnats. And finally, the pharaohs and magicians said, we can't do this by our secret arts. We cannot do it. The magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had predicted. And all the other plagues they could not do. So these were works that only Moses could do through the power of God that they would know. It wasn't to be mean. It was that they would know God. But Pharaoh would not believe. Now Jesus said, if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have seen what I did. They saw my works. Moses did works that no one else could do. Jesus did works that no one else could do. After all the plagues, Moses parts the Red Sea for the people to go through. An unrelenting Pharaoh assumes... He has no belief in the God of Israel. He's totally denounced him, and he assumes that this is for him too, and he goes right on through the water also. Oh, 
Bad idea. Bad idea. The audacity, the pride of this man to think the waters will hold for him, almighty Pharaoh of Egypt. And he goes to his death with a very hard heart, stubborn heart, unless he repented as he was going down. I don't know. Who am I to judge, right? But Pharaoh died not believing. Now, some of the Israelites coming out of the desert also were hard-hearted and rebellious. And you'll remember Korah's rebellion when the earth opened up and swallowed him up. Some of them were rebellious. Four centuries of enslavement by the Egyptians had hardened them. But the hidden trinity was with them all along through their exodus. There was manna from heaven. That's the bread of life. Jesus was there all along. There was water from the rock. The Holy Spirit was there gushing forth from the side of the rock. So manna and the rock, the rock is Jesus. The water gushing out is the Holy Spirit. They're hidden all along. But because of their woundedness and their brokenness and their pain of 400 years, they're hardened. They're broken. And their hearts became so hardened that their eyes became dry. And that means they were so hard-hearted that they couldn't even cry anymore. Have you ever had that happen to you? Someone wounded you, someone hurt you so bad, and you just, you become almost hard-hearted, and you almost can't even cry anymore about it, because you're, mm. They were trying. They were tired of crying out to the Lord, and they were tired of trusting him for everything, and they're just tired of this manna, and they're just tired, and they're tired, and they can't even cry anymore, and they're getting harder and harder and harder. None of that generation will make it to the promised land. Only two, Joshua and Caleb, they will make it. They're the only ones. Pharaoh's heart was so hardened by God, and their hearts had become hardened too. Now in John's gospel, we see the hearts of the scribes and Pharisees are getting harder and harder and harder and harder by Jesus. And he's doing all these wonderful works that no one else has ever done, and they're getting harder and harder and harder. They would not believe. Whoever hates me hates the Father. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen. They hate both me and my Father. It was to fulfill the word that's written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Now, that's written in the Psalms twice. And I can imagine Jesus, like any good Jewish man, would pray the Psalms. And he's praying, and he prays Psalm 38, many have become my enemies without cause. Those who hate me without reason are numerous. Then he prays Psalm 69. Those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs on my head. Many of my enemies without cause, they seek to destroy me. Jesus had performed wondrous signs, wondrous miracles, at least 40 recorded that no one else had ever done. He's born of a virgin. He changes water to wine. He heals a paralyzed man. He, heals, he raises, resurrects the widow of Nain's son. All these things. Will you believe now, people? Will you believe now? I did all these things. Will you believe now? No, we won't believe. You are not the Messiah. Well, then let me do some more. Let me raise Jairus' daughter. Let me heal a 38-year-old invalid. Let me feed 5,000 of you. Let me, let me walk on the water. How about if I heal a man that was born blind? No, we won't believe. Okay, well, how about if I, you know, he, he does all of these things. What if I raise Lazarus from the dead? He has a stench. He's been, he's been rotting for four days. What if I do that? What if I raise myself from the dead? What if I send back to my body? Will you believe that? No. No. We want to kill you. <laughs> we won't believe. They have seen, and they've hated both me and my father. They hated me without a cause. Now, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who comes from the father, he's going to testify on my behalf. 
And you also are going to testify because you have been with me from the beginning. He's saying this to the apostles. It was a criteria of an apostle to be with him from the beginning. God does not want us to get hard-hearted or unbelieving. And that's sometimes hard with the conditions of life and things that have happened in our lives. And when our lives don't go the way we wanted them to or the way we thought they would. And we can get hard-hearted and we can get unbelieving. But he wants us soft-hearted. And the way to stay soft-hearted is to be full of the Holy Spirit. Soft-hearted means to be kind and compassionate. And some of these synonyms are fruits of the Holy Spirit. Kind, gentle, generous, merciful. Soft-heartedness is something that Ezekiel spoke of. A new heart I'm going to give you. A new spirit I will put within you. I'm going to remove from your body a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. A soft, supple heart. Sometimes the conditions of life make our hearts get hard. And it's scary. We don't want a hard heart. Even in the medical world, you don't want a hard physical heart because it's called hardening of the arteries. And, it, and your arteries get narrow and they get full of heart plaque. And you could die because you can have a heart attack. It kills the heart. And same in the spiritual. You don't want a hard heart that's all clogged up. Jesus is the true vine. And we are the branches. And the sap that runs through Jesus the vine is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit keeps those branches soft. And a soft branch is good. Those brittle, hard branches that need to be pruned off. You want to be a soft, green, vibrant branch full of the Holy Spirit that's not hard and brittle, that the sap of the Holy Spirit's running through you, coursing through your veins as you're taking from Jesus through the Holy Spirit to go back to the Father. That's what Jesus is, the true vine full of the Holy Spirit helping us get back to the Father. Now Jesus says, I've told you these things to keep you from stumbling. They will put you out of the synagogues. And we've already seen that in John chapter 9. When Jesus healed that man that was born blind from birth and his parents got really scared, they were afraid of the Jews because what if they get put out of the synagogue? If you get put out of the synagogue, you have no livelihood. You, you can't trade with anyone. You can't eat with anyone. You can't be with anyone. You can't talk to anyone. You are cut off. So they were afraid. The Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. So the parents say, hey, he's of age. Ask him yourself. Remember that? And in John chapter 12, many, even the authorities, believed in him, in Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. For fear. For fear that what? They'd be put out of the synagogues. Their life would be over. They'd be cut off. They had fear, and fear is not of the Lord, but they were fearful. Fear has two meanings. Ready? Number one, forget everything and run. <laughs> or number two, face everything and rise. Face everything and rise. Rise from the dead. Be part of the resurrection. Be one of those bodies that cracks through and rises forever to eternity with Jesus. Do not be afraid. Whatever comes, cling to the cross, cling to the vine. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. That was part one of the Gospel of John, chapter 16, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible studies, visit seekingtruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.